I'm going to personally recognize my father. He's not here, but my dad was such a great father when I was growing up. Not only did he provide for our families uh, so well, but he also modeled what it meant to be a man. And I didn't realize how important that was until I went into the ministry. When I went into the ministry, I, I saw that so many men were insecure and really didn't know what manhood was and I would go to these men's ministry and the, men, the man would get up to speak and he would talk about what it means to be a man and, and that was just so foreign to me because I was so confident in being the man that God wanted me to be and being a husband and being a father but the reason I was is because I was allowed to grow into manhood and I was able to see an example someone who modeled what it meant to be a man and I'm so grateful to my father for that well, Father's Day is a really interesting holiday. It began in Spokane, Washington in 1910. Louise Dodd thought of the idea while she was sitting in church, and actually she was listening to a Mother's Day sermon, and she thought, well, wait a minute, dads are being cheated. And the reason she thought that is because her mother had died when she was very young, and she was raised by her father, who was a very loving, courageous, and unselfish man. And she wanted him to know just how much that she loved him and respected him and really just admired all that he had done for his family. So she went to the pastor of a church and she talked him into honoring all fathers on the third Sunday of June. And the reason she talked him into doing it in June is because that's the month that her father was born in. So the very first Father's Day was celebrated on June 19, 1910. And in 1924, it became a national holiday when Calvin Coolidge proclaimed the third Sunday in June to be Father's Day. The rose, which most of you probably don't know, is the official flower of Father's Day. If your father is still alive, you're supposed to wear a red rose. And if your father has passed away, then you're supposed to wear a white rose. Now, let me give you an interesting fact about Father's Day. More long-distance phone calls are made on Mother's Day than any other day of the year. But more collect calls are made on Father's Day than any other day. True. Not making that up. I guess it's okay to say, you know, Dad, I couldn't afford to get you call a card. I couldn't even afford to call you, so happy Father's Day. But you know, that kind of reminds me of a funny story. A little boy was sitting in Sunday school when his teacher asked him, What is Father's Day? And he piped up and he said, well, it's just like Mother's Day, except you don't have to spend as much on the present. And really, that's a pretty good definition of what Father's Day is. But fathers, let me just say this. Your presence in the home makes a tremendous impact on your children. Did you know that if a father is in the home, the children are five times less likely to commit suicide, 32 times less likely to run away, 20 times less likely to have behavior problems, 9 times less likely to drop out of high school, 10 times less likely to abuse drugs, and 9 times less likely to end up in prison. That's how big of a difference a father makes when he's in the home. Now, if you're a single mother, don't despair. I'm not saying that you need to go out and find your children a father. So many women think that way, but people don't think that way. That is not true. Do not buy into the lie that any man is better than no man. That is not true. And you can talk to some women who thought that at one time, ended up marrying a worthless man, and they can tell you that's a lie from the devil. And don't remarry until you find a godly man who actually lives out the fruit of the Spirit. And until then, just understand that God is going to be a father unto your children. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Psalms, chapter 68, verses 4 through 5. 
So sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who, to him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. So if you're a single mother, take comfort in the fact that God has made a promise to you. And that promise is that he is a father to the fatherless. So don't think that you have to go out looking for a father for your child. God is going to be a father to your children. Now, this morning, I want to talk about a father who's usually overlooked. In fact, most of the time, he is overshadowed by his wife. And of course, I'm talking about Joseph, the husband of Mary. Rarely is Joseph ever the focus of a sermon. Every once in a while during the Christmas season, we bring his name up. But the majority of the focus is placed on his wife, Mary. But I believe that just as much honor should go to Joseph as goes to Mary. Now, I know for some of you women, you're already upset that I would make a comment like that. But let me explain why I say that. Mary wasn't just chosen because she was a godly woman. Mary was chosen because she was a godly woman and she was betrothed to a godly man. You see, God was looking for a couple, not just a mother, to raise his son. And he chose Joseph to be a stepfather to Jesus and to raise him to manhood. Years ago, Hallmark made a movie entitled, Who Will Love My Children? The, mother was, the, the movie was about a mother who had a terminal illness and she only had one year to live. So she went out searching for loving parents who would adopt her children when she died. She wanted every one of her children to be placed in a loving, godly home before she passed away. And of course, it's a tearjerker. So if you're going to watch the movie, women, you need to get some Kleenex. Guys, you're not going to enjoy it because no one is killed. There's no bombs going off, no action like that. But as I watched this movie, it really reminded me of God. Because when it was time to send God's son into the world, he chose parents who would raise his son in a loving, godly home. He didn't just choose a mother for his son, but he also chose a man who would be a loving stepfather to his son. And I really believe that one of the main reasons that Mary was chosen was because she was betrothed to a very godly man, a man who would fill the role of father to Jesus. And Joseph was that man. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us much about Joseph. But the little bit it tells us about him speaks volumes of his character. In fact, Joseph is a great example of what a father is supposed to be. So let me show you some of the great characteristics of Joseph and some of the characteristics that you're supposed to possess if you're a father. First of all, Joseph was a very loving man full of grace and mercy. And that's something that sometimes men have difficult doing is expressing love. But I want you to understand part of being a man is demonstrating to your children what a man is. And what a man is is a loving creature made in the image of God full of mercy and grace. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse number 19. And let's look at some of the characteristics that Joseph displayed. It says, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man... And not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. Now we all know the story. Joseph is betrothed to Mary and sometime during this time she gets pregnant. And it comes to his attention that she's pregnant. 
And because he was a righteous man, he did not want to publicly disgrace her. But he wanted to do is he wanted to put her away secretly. Now, I want you to underline that phrase, put her away. That phrase is translated from the Greek word apoluo. Now, apoluo is a compound word. If you've been coming here for some time, you know what a compound word is. A compound word is a word that's made up of more than one word. In this case, it's made up of two words. It's made up of the prefix apa, which means to separate. And the root word luo, which means to set free or to release from bonds. So when you combine these two words, it literally means to separate and release from bonds. Now, in this context, it means to separate and to release from the bonds of marriage. In other words, divorce. So this is a euphemism. Remember what a euphemism is. A euphemism is a nice way of saying something that is socially unacceptable. And I don't know why, but in first century Judaism, they didn't like to use the term divorce. Maybe it's because they so discouraged it. So instead of using the word divorce... They would use this euphemism, apoluo. In other words, separated and released from the bonds of marriage. Now, you need to understand something. In Jesus' day, when you became betrothed to a woman, you were considered to be married. You didn't live together during this engagement period, and you didn't have sex. But you were still considered to be married. And then after the wedding ceremony, you lived together as husband and wife. But if you were engaged, you couldn't just break off the engagement. No, you couldn't say, well, you know, I've decided not to marry you. No, because according to Jewish law, you were already married. Therefore, you had to get a divorce to make it legal. So when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant during this engagement period, he didn't want to publicly disgrace her. Instead, what he was going to do was to divorce her secretly. Turn back to verse number 19, and let's read this again. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. Now, in first century Judaism, adultery was considered to be a capital crime. In other words, it was punishable by death. And the method that they used to punish that person was stoning. So the whole town would literally show up. The person who made the accusation would throw the very first stone. That kind of gives us insight into one of the other stories of Jesus. And then he would take a step back. And to allow the men to be able to throw better, they would take off their outer cloak and they would put it at the feet of the person who threw the first stone. And then they would all pick up stones and begin to stone the person. But you need to understand that adultery was a capital crime. It was a punishment that they would kill for. So look with me, if you would, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 22, verses 23 through 24. It says, suppose a man meets a young woman, a virgin who is engaged to be married, and he has sexual intercourse with that woman. If this happens within a town, you must take both of them to the gates of that town and stone them to death. The woman is guilty because she did not scream for help. The man must die because he violated another man's wife. In this way, you will purge evil from among you. Now, there's two things that I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture. First of all, I want you to notice that it's talking about, in verse number 23, a virgin who's engaged to a man. Did you see that? But in verse number 24, it says, if a man has sex with that woman, he's violated another man's wife. So as I said, if you were engaged, you were considered to be married. 
The second thing that I want you to notice is the punishment. Adultery was a capital crime. In other words, the punishment was death. So if Joseph had chosen to disgrace her publicly, she would have been stoned. That's why he was going to divorce her secretly. This would allow her family to send her off to another town to live with distant relatives. And no one would know the circumstances surrounding her pregnancy. They wouldn't know that she got pregnant during this betrothment period. They would simply think that she was married to a man. And sometime after she was married to him, she got pregnant. And then he decided to divorce her. Now, I want you to think about what Joseph was willing to do. Because the majority of us would not be willing to do what he did. Think about how you would react. You fall in love with this pretty young girl. You do all the right things. You pursue her in the right and customary way. You approach her family with a marriage proposal. You actually put down a large down payment. The deal is sealed. So now you are officially betrothed. But you're not allowed to live together or even see each other privately until the wedding ceremony. But during that time, you're building a home for the two of you. Because you're getting ready to build a life together. And then all of a sudden she comes up pregnant. And you don't know who the father is, but you do know it's not you. Which means that she's been sneaking out with some other guy while she's been engaged to you. And in their culture, you're considered to be married even though you're not living together as husband and wife. So this is considered to be adultery. What would you do? Well, I think you would do what most people would. You divorce her publicly out of anger and hurt. Because when a person hurts us, we retaliate. That is human nature. Our first reaction is to hurt them back. But Joseph didn't do that. Which speaks volumes of his character. Very few men would be willing to do what Joseph was willing to do. But Joseph was a kind and loving man. He was full of mercy and grace, and I personally believe that the reason Mary was chosen was not just simply because she was a godly woman, but because she was also betrothed to a very godly man who was full of mercy and grace. As I said, he was godly. In fact, the Bible says that Joseph was a righteous man. Turn back to verse number 19 in Matthew chapter 1. It says, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, underline that word righteous, Righteous is translated from the Greek word dekayas, which means just. And it refers specifically to someone who keeps God's commands. Let me say that again. In the Old Testament, and you need to understand something, the New Testament does not begin until the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So Joseph was actually living in the Old Testament period. And when you refer to someone as righteous... In the Old Testament, what you were saying is that person would keep the commandments of God. That's why Joseph was chosen to be Jesus' stepfather. God knew that he was a righteous man. God knew that he would obey his commands. And let me show you just how far Joseph went to obey the commands of God. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. And then we're going to jump down to verse number 24 because I want to move through this quite quickly. It says, but when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, jump down to verse number 24. 
And Joseph arose from asleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took her as his wife. Wow. That's impressive. God tells Joseph that Mary's a virgin, that the child in her womb has been conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he's to take her as his wife. But not only that, he tells her not to be afraid to take her as his wife. Now, let's be honest. In that, in that culture, because of what everyone thought she did, that would have meant that she was a very loose woman. And if you marry someone like that, then she's going to cheat on you. She's going to run around with other men, and you're never going to be able to trust her. And that was one of the fears that Joseph had. But the angel of the Lord says, wait a minute, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. The child that's within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. So with no questions asked, Joseph obeys, and he does it. Now, people, that's impressive. Through this dream, God speaks to him. He wakes up without even questioning God. He says, I'll do it. And then a little bit later, God tells Joseph in another dream to take Mary and Jesus to Egypt because Herod is trying to kill him. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, verse number 13. Now, when they had departed, behold... An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. Now, people, this is one obedient man. God tells him to do something, and he does it. People, that's obedience. And, of course, he told him, You stay there until I tell you to come back. And so one day... This angel appears to Joseph in a dream again. And he says, now it's time to move back to Israel. Look with me, if you would, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 19. And then we're going to read verse 20 along with it. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph was obedient to God in every way. And he followed God's word to a T. Let me give you two examples of Joseph actually putting into practice God's word. Because not only was he obedient when the Holy Spirit spoke to him through this angel in a dream, but he was also obedient to God's word. And he put God's word into practice. So let me give you two examples of that to illustrate just how much Joseph lived by the word of God. First of all, God's word required that all male children be dedicated to the Lord on the eighth day. Now, Joseph could have said, you know, this is God's son, Mary, you go ahead and take it. No, 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 no. Joseph in his heart had decided because of what God said to become a stepfather to this child and to make sure that this Jewish man was going to be raised according to God's word. So he dedicated Jesus to the Lord. Look with me, if you would, in the book of Luke, chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 21 through 24. And when eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Here he is even obeying what God said to call him. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed... They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. God gets our first fruits. And to offer a sacrifice according to what, said, what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. 
So here he is. God's word said to do this. He's going to fulfill it. And he's going to raise Jesus in the way that God said to raise him. Secondly, the law required that all Jewish males were to go to Jerusalem three times a year to celebrate the feast of the Lord. And of course, Joseph obeyed that three times a year. Joseph not only went to Jerusalem, but he took Jesus with him to celebrate the feast of the Lord. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Luke, chapter 2, verse number 41. It says, every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. Every year. And they also went to the Feast of Pentecost every year and the Feast of Tabernacles. So as you can see, Joseph provided a very godly home for Jesus to be raised in. A loving and kind home. And a home where God's word was put into practice. I wonder how many of us could say that. We might provide the love. We might provide the kindness. We might provide the mercy, the grace. But how many of us raise our children according to God's word? But the reason Joseph was chosen was because God knew that he would raise Jesus in a godly home and that he would put into practice Deuteronomy chapter 6 and he would consistently and constantly tell Jesus what he was doing, why he was doing it, and how God had instructed them to do that very thing. Now, as you study Joseph's life, you can tell that even though Jesus was not his own biological son, he raised him as if he was. He adopted Jesus as his own son. He nurtured him. He cared for him just as if he were his own. In fact, let me just tell you how good of a man Joseph was. This isn't even the notes. Don't freak out back there. But Joseph had four other sons besides Jesus. Did you know that? After Jesus was born, then, then Joseph and Mary had a normal relationship as husband and wife. And Mary got pregnant, and she had other children, and she had four sons. Two of those sons actually held high positions in the church after Jesus' resurrection, and they both have books in the Bible. What are those books? There's a little trivia for you. The book of James and the book of Jude. Those two books were written by Jesus' half-brothers. Why? Because Joseph was a very godly man. And he took Jesus in, and he treated him as if he were his own son. And in a time like today, when so many men are abdicating from their responsibility, when so many men are not fulfilling their responsibility to their children, Joseph sets a wonderful example. This is the way that you're supposed to father your children. Now, let me give you a principle. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. In God's eyes, every child is his child. Let me say that again. In God's eyes, every child is his child. So you're to raise your child as Joseph raised Jesus. You're to raise them as Joseph raised God's son. Now, let me speak to some of you fathers who have married women who were married before and they have children. So now you have stepchildren. I'm going to tell you what God's will is. God's will is that you raise them as if they were your 
biological children. You're not to see them as stepchildren, but you're to act like Joseph did, and you're to become a father to them. You're to provide mercy and grace, and you're supposed to provide a godly home and to model to them what a man, a husband, and a father is to be. That is your responsibility as a stepfather. You don't see them as stepchildren. You're to see them as your own biological children. Now, I'm going to go a little bit further. Some of you men, you were married before. You got a divorce, and you've had children from a previous marriage, and now you've married another woman, and you're having your own children. Let me say this. You are to continue your responsibility to the children that you have from a previous marriage. And now I'm going to speak specifically to child support. You do not pay me to tickle your ears. God did not call me to become your friend. God called me to preach the word of God. So let me tell you men, if you're supposed to pay child support and you can't pay that child support, you take a second job. That is your responsibility. I don't want to see your names in the paper. I don't want to read that you have failure to pay your child support. I don't care what you have to do. I don't care if you have to carry out food at Sonic. I don't care if you have to pick up aluminum cans. I don't care what you have to do. Those are your children, and you have a responsibility to financially support them. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse number 8. And women, you're not going to get off easy because I'm going to hit you in just a second. That's just the kind of guy I am. <laughs> Equal opportunity in the pulpit. But if any man provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and he is worse than an unbeliever. It is your job to support your children. You might say, but the mother of my children was crazy, and that's why I had to get a divorce. I'm sorry. You made a mistake. You chose to marry that woman and you chose to have children with that woman. She might be crazy. She might be loony. But those are your children. And according to God's word, you are obligated to provide for them. Now, women, listen to me. If you married a man that has children from a previous marriage, you quit complaining about the child support that he pays. You quit giving him a hard time over that. You need to thank God that you're married to a man that will fulfill the responsibilities that he has. And if he wants to give above and beyond what the court says that he's supposed to, you bless him because God will bless him. Let me tell you, that child support is just the minimum. But God wants you to go above and beyond. And that is the type of men that God wants in his family. And that's the type of man that Joseph was. Joseph did not complain that he had another mouth to feed. Joseph did not complain that, you know, you gave us his child and, you know, it's not even my own. And now, God, I've got to give up my own business, this practice. We had to go to Bethlehem. Now we're here. It looks like it's going to be great, but now the child's going to be killed. So we have to actually go to a foreign land. He never complained. He was never bitter about it. He did everything that God wanted. He took that child in, Jesus Christ, and he treated him as if he were his own that is the model of what fatherhood is that is the example for every one of us so today as we honor fathers 
Fathers, we need to understand that we need to be worthy of that honor. We need to set the example for our kids. Today, we have all types of men that are running around insecure in their manhood. They're wanting, for, they're wanting someone to tell them what it means to be a man. Let me tell you why we're suffering from that. Because so many of them were raised in single homes or maybe their father was not the man of God that he was supposed to be and as a result they didn't see an example of it and they're asking themselves, well, what am I supposed to do as a man? And that insecurity was, was uh, created because there wasn't a father in the home doing what God had said to do. I was very blessed. I was raised in a home where I saw my father model what a good godly man is supposed to be and what a good godly man is supposed to do. And as a result of that, I've never had that insecurity. I can tell you, and I don't mean it as boasting, I am a good husband, I am a good father, and I'm doing what God has called me to do. And I've never questioned that, and I've never felt insecure in that. But the reason we have all of this insecurity about what does it mean to be a man is because the father was not in the home modeling what it means to be a true man of God. So men today, as you're being honored by your family, I want you to look in the mirror tomorrow morning and say, am I, or ask yourself this question, am I worthy of this honor? And if you're not, then you make a commitment to yourself that you are going to be the type of man that God has called you to be.